0: Welcome to Not-So-Standard Deviations. This is episode 29, and I'm Roger Peng. Uh, this is another special episode because last week I had an opportunity to go down to the U.S. Department of Transportation to talk to their chief data officer, uh, Daniel Morgan, uh, along with Tara Lyons, who's a policy advisor to the U.S chief technology officer who um, works a lot in the transportation portfolio. Um, So the three of us had an interesting conversation about the open data initiatives that are going on in the Department of Transportation and all kinds of transportation-related data that they make available to the public. Um, It was a fascinating conversation just to hear what's going on and kind of more broadly at the federal government level. Um, And so what follows is a recording of that conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. So I think my first very important question for both of you is that is there an official Administration policy on whether you say data is or data are. I, you know, I have been um, scouring <laughs> all of your literature. I've read your policies, I've read your kind of guidelines, and it's hard to tell. I think
1: <laughs> there is not an official administration stance on that matter. Okay. <laughs> I think it varies by office and also by leadership. But yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think we're flexible about it. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, Dan, uh, in terms of, so DOT has just like an incredible amount of data. We sure just do. out there. Uh, I mean, you could just get lost on the website alone for hours, looking at and just between the different uh, kind of administrations and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to put data out there. I just wanted to think, talk a little bit about kind of what's the process, what's the kind of framework around how you think about what to put out there, and uh, and do you think of like a, you're getting a return on that, or is, or is this something one of those things where like it's just the right thing to do? You know?
2: it's definitely. Uh, it starts with being the right thing to do. Yeah. The administrations uh, put a lot of effort around applying a presumption of openness to spur uh, innovation and uh, hold ourselves accountable to the American public uh, as it relates to what we're doing here in the department. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're a big agency, we have 60,000 people, Um, and uh, we have lots of different kinds of data that we put out in the public. Uh, I got data about how we operate the national airspace Mm -hmm. at the Federal Aviation Administration you might not know that we share the St. Lawrence Seaway with Canada.
0: I did learn that actually, um, yes. <laughs> And so
2: we, uh, we, we uh, share operational data about the vessels transiting the uh, seaway and uh, the temperatures of the water and, and those kinds of things as well. We obviously invest a lot in infrastructure as well. So you can see the projects that we're working on with the states and the local governments, uh, and you can see how they're progressing and how much money's out there in, in that space. Uh, We have lots of regulatory data, Mm -hmm. so you can see the safety records of uh, trucking companies and railroad companies. You can see consumer complaints about vehicles and child safety seats. Mm -hmm. You can see uh, the recall actions that we've taken on vehicles, Um, and you can see uh, a variety of other kinds of information about who's allowed to move hazardous materials or who's allowed to move radioactive materials across the country. And then we study the transportation system itself, right? So the condition of the roads, um, how many people use the roads, how much they drive, uh, where the flights are, and and all that good stuff is out there as well. Um, So we really try to share as much information as possible about our work uh, and and hope that we can Spur some, spur some thought around how it can be applied to keep people safe and uh, give them access to opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that like, I, I've done a lot of work in the kind of biomedical area, uh, and the uh, and there's a lot of kind of health data out there, um, and a lot of, some of the discussion I wouldn't say a lot, some of the discussion along that along those about that data involves kind of uh, um, kind of building being able to build products in the commercial sector based on that public data. I mean, do you have the same kinds of thoughts I guess, and then in, in in DOT?
2: Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people who are using our data to build stuff. Yeah. Um, so you've got uh, companies like if you've used FlightAware, yeah, yeah, uh, to check on some of those sure. things. They're using the Federal Aviation Administration's data. Yeah. Uh, same, you know, similar kinds of companies like Flight Radar Twenty Four, uh, four flights using our data uh, and giving stuff that uh, pilots can use uh, in the cockpit to be safe and, and fly safely. Um, we've got companies that are using the consumer protection information. So companies like We Make It Safer and Safety Book are using our, our recalls data and our consumer complaints data uh, as part of their business model. Not just the U.S. Department of Transportation's, but uh, from the FDA uh, about uh, drugs and, and uh, other sort of personal products uh, from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Uh, so you can get anything about pools or cribs or any other thing that's not a car or a safety seat, essentially. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, vehicle manufacturers are actually using the complaints that come in to us, uh, so they're actually pulling it back into their own systems to make sure they don't miss something that's being said about uh, their product. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen people use our data about infrastructure and travel habits to plan where they're putting electric vehicle charging stations and and those kinds of things. Um, You've seen a million transit apps, right? Right, yeah. It turns out that uh, nobody actually put together all of that transit agency data into a unified data set. Mm -hmm. Uh, And actually, for the first time this year, we we did. Um, We collected it from over 200 transit agencies, and it covers about 50% of all of the transit service in the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've made it truly open data so people can start to explore um, how they're doing that stuff, and you've seen like cool startups like Remix, mm-hmm. uh, putting that data to work to help transit agencies plan their services better. Um, as part of the Opportunity Project, and I think uh, Derek will probably talk a little bit about this. There were companies like MySidewalk and Neighborland that were using our data to help their customers uh, make better decisions about how they're planning their cities, mm-hmm. uh, so that they can uh, make sure that they're serving everybody and giving them a safe environment. But do uh, you want to build on a, on some other stuff.
1: Sure, definitely. I think in addition to the sort of commercial and consumer applications that use these data products is also um, the research sector as well that is utilizing them uh, pretty heavily. And so there's firms um, ranging from Microsoft Research to independent uh, researchers at a variety of different research institutions that are leveraging DOT data to try to sort of do fundamental research in even human behavior related to transportation and logistics and things like that. So I think that's another really interesting angle. Um, and we do have a, a bunch of public-private partnerships, sort of established, like the Opportunity Project, which is one way of facilitating the growth of more applications and sort of service uh, service providers that start looking at the intersection of the public and private offerings that utilize government data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that also, I think, is providing really unique opportunities um, using these services.
0: Yeah. Um, one, one of the things I'm, I'm curious about in terms of how, in terms of how do you think of um, the kind of, maybe the primary consumer of the data that you put out there, I mean, I think, because I feel like that would affect how you, put, how you make it available and in what formats uh, and in what ways. Uh, do you have any, is that something that you have in mind or, is, or do you try to kind of make for the, the most generic kind of consumer? Or I mean, either one of you, I guess, I mean.
1: I think, um, you know, from a sort of federal government standpoint, our open data project and the open data priorities of the president uh, very much have everyone in mind um, as an end user of data. Um, I do think though that DOT does a, specifically does an amazing job uh, providing uh, data that's you know that can be used by, for instance, the commercial sector or the research sector because of the vastness of the offerings that you guys have um, and the variety as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we think a lot about fitness uh, for purpose, right? So we have a great deal of interesting sort of time series data. Mm-hmm. We've studied. Um, railroad crashes and incidents since 1970 something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that data's changed over that time, right? Um, we have studied fatal crashes on our roads since 1975. Um, and that data sets lived for a very long time. It has lots of intricacies mm-hmm. um, that aren't always easy to document in an application programming interface, right? Um, we're pushing for uh, a lot more APIs uh, to make it easier for developers to sort of get crunchy with our data sets, right? Uh, and we've really offered, uh, we've, we've increased our offerings quite a bit uh, at the agency. We do also have some legacy practices that we're trying to uh, upgrade. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we, as we make our investments and, and hear from people like the, the folks who are listening today <laughs> uh, about where we should, where we should focus uh, to get better value, Um, it's okay to talk to us. Um, And and we definitely want to hear from people who are trying to use our data so that we can make improvements to the way we offer it.
0: I think, I mean, I I imagine there's often conflicting, I mean, in any part of government, there's conflicting, you know, (laughs) demands. Uh, And I think a lot of times, for example, in the research side, we often appreciate getting, like, you know, raw data, flat files, things like that, whereas other uh, consumer, other kind of people might prefer things like APIs and kind of dynamic Mm -hmm. access. So I guess you have to kind of bridge that whole range,
2: right? Most of our data sets are definitely things that we offer as, as bulk, sort of downloadable data. Mm-hmm. Um, and where we see um, value uh, and demand, we're focusing on building APIs and those kinds of things as, as they make sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not, it's very rarely either or, it's both and. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you see that across the, the government ecosystem. Um, I, we don't want to control necessarily the way people want to interact with our data, um, we, we want to make sure that we're, we're offering something that's relevant and useful to yeah. that community. Um, the same time, as we look at the sort of future of transportation data, uh, as we see more of these smart city and intelligent transportation systems projects come online, the data is going to be too big for people to sort of copy around. And, yeah. You know, I, you're going to open up a session and just download files for 13 hours. Right, right, right. Uh, probably doesn't seem like a very useful way to work. Uh, so we're looking at um, how we can use the cloud and some other uh, interesting access architectures to uh, speed uh, people's access to the data so they can start to
0: put it to work. Yeah. And uh, Maybe for, for both of you, you mentioned in reference to the transit data that you kind of coordinated the, kind of the, the assembly of a lot of these different data sets. Uh, in a kind of unified format. Uh, do you do that a lot in terms of, not that with transit, but in general in terms of coordinating across disparate sources and, and kind of defining a format that everybody can kind of agree to? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I assume this is the, the most fun part of your job? Uh,
2: yes. Yeah, so, so standards are like toothbrushes. We, everybody needs one, but nobody wants to use anybody. Yeah right. yeah, right. Um, <laughs> good, I, I have not heard that one yet. <laughs> uh, I, I can't take credit for that quote, but yeah. I love it. Um, so sometimes standards develop organically, and that's what happened in transit, right? Mm-hmm. So um, really sort of Portland TriMet, uh, which is the transit agency in Portland, and Google got together to start, a figure, start to figure out a, a de facto standard um, that grew into something that we could coordinate. Uh, it's very loosely defined and easy to adopt, which creates challenges for actually integrating the data, of course. Yeah. Um, in other places where we're working across with uh, our state and local governments, so with the, we take a census of fatal crashes mm-hmm. uh, that are happening on our roads and uh, every state has their own police accident report. Um, and uh, we do our best to give folks sort of guardrails, but for instance, Florida probably doesn't have snow on their police accident report as a weather condition, right? right. Whereas Minnesota has blowing snow, blizzard. Um, All <laughs> different having, categories. Yeah, of every that. category <laughs> of snow you can think of. Yeah. Um, so, and Seattle probably doesn't have sun, but... Um, <laughs> What we find is we spend a lot of time sort of processing that data. Well, we do have humans in the loop to sort of conform to our standard for how we, how we describe a fatal crash. Um, and so we spend a lot of time making that data uniform across the country so we can understand um, trends on a national basis. Um, so it's kind of as needed and where appropriate. We're working uh, either to assist uh, the entire country with adopting a standard, or where we see a standard that makes sense, uh, we try to put it to work. Um.
1: Yeah. The only other thing I'd really add is that I think those efforts feed into a broader effort that is both intergovernmental, which is to say between states and the federal government or local governments and the federal government, and also intragovernmental, sort of the interagency community that exists in the federal government. in in making sure those standards are applied and in making sure that data is interoperable. Mm -hmm. Um, So these are conversations that play out at a super macro level in that sense, but also at a micro level um, in the application sense as well. And a good example of that is work that we've done recently um, at the interagency level uh, coming from the White House to try to standardize data protocol for things like unmanned aircraft systems, Mm -hmm. data sharing amongst agencies in the government who are end users of those technology platforms, as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it, it's a massive effort, and it will continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, you know, DOT is obviously doing a fantastic job.
0: It, it seems like something that the federal government, though, is well suited to kind of take the lead on, right? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. in terms of bringing all these people together, right? Yeah. So that's right. Um,
1: Sometimes it's just a question of giving everyone the mandate to share each other's toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't always have to be a mandate.
2: Um, I think there's lightweight ways to create agreement, right? Mm-hmm. So the convening power of government is kind of a soft power, but Mm -hmm. a useful um, conversation about how we can increase the interoperability of data sets to facilitate an emerging industry, right? So um, being smart about when to sort of listen, when to create space to hear, so that communities who aren't used to talking to each other can talk to each other a little bit more, and where appropriate, um, selecting Mm -hmm how to mandate, um, mm-hmm. and is, is, I think, really sort of the spectrum that we think about as it relates to standards. It doesn't always have to be a top-down approach. Sure,
0: yeah. That's
1: right. I agree.
0: Um, one of the things that I'm curious about in terms of when you think about making data available to the public, um, do you conceive of any kind of limiting principles uh, when you do that in terms of, you know, what are the expectations that you would hope, hope people have in terms of data availability, data kind of... Uh, appropriateness, things like that. Uh, are there any kind of things like that that you think about? Um, I mean, so one of the things in the research side, you know, we talk a lot about reproducibility, uh, of published studies, things like that. And there's generally an expectation that, you know, data will be available in perpetuity. Uh, and it's very difficult to kind of implement that in practice. And I wonder if, if you have discussions like that or kind of what the thinking areas are on those lines.
2: Of course, we love reproducibility in research.
0: Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? So we share that value. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. There, there is this this trend that um, folks sort of expect if it's on the web, it's there forever. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not always live in that same home over the course of its life. Sure. Right. Um, there's definitely data sets that are out there that we have that have long-term viability and are necessary for sort of understanding context. Right. We have that census of fatal crashes that goes back 40 years. Uh, if you've ever driven down the highway um, and seen that little sign that says U.S. DOT Test Section,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, that's our long-term pavement performance program. <laughs> um, pavement lasts a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we are trying to study how we use materials in creative ways, how we put, um, you know, how we, how we perform maintenance practices on a variety of pavements to make them last longer to reduce you know the cost of the oper- of operating all those roads right and uh, so we've been taking pictures since the 80s okay. right yeah. you'd imagine that camera technology has changed just a little bit a little bit time. yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and we've got to maintain the integrity of that data set over that study period right we we are sharing that data um, through a website called infopave.com for those of you who love just materials engineering and, and pictures of pavement um, that that website uh, and that study uh, having that integrity, we make that data available. Uh, sections come in and out of the study over a period of time. It's a complex data set. Yeah. Um, it depends really on the on the on the field of sure. study what makes the most sense. Yeah, um, I think we view our role in a lot of these as, as a federal agency as being the steward of sort of that longer term view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as as more real time sort of sources come on, uh, uh, in in the transportation space, um, we're trying to see how how best to steward those as well, um, or build archives where they're appropriate, and those kinds of things. That picture of transit is great if you want to know like how to get here to DOT today, right? Right. <laughs> um, but it's also good to study it over time. Yeah. How does transit change? How does it How does it match up against where people live and where jobs are? Um, and and there was no way for us to build that picture because transit agencies are are, are focused on giving current information, mm-hmm. and we offer the ability to provide that archival, longitudinal view. Mm-hmm. It works together, um, and so uh, I think we we are being creative about how we how we manage expectations there, um, and some things might live on our website for a while and then move to the archives. Mm-hmm. Um, And we do send data to the National Archives, not just documents. Okay, (laughs) Uh, And you can get the data back out of the archives. Um, So if it's a permanent record, it'll go there. Or uh, we'll work with libraries and other kinds of institutions to sort of archive it off uh, after its sort of near-term utility Mm -hmm. goes away.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, did you have anything to add in terms of the broader broader kind of federal government kind of thinking?
1: Um, Not too much. I think Dan hit on a lot of pretty critical points. I do think that the aspect of longitudinality, uh, if that's even a word, (laughs) Um, that DOT brings to bear is is pretty unique. I think that especially given the dynamism of the transportation space, it's especially important. And I think that it also, I think it's not just found useful by outsiders to have that history of data, but it's also equally useful to policymakers and regulators within the federal government as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we rely just as much as anyone would on that capability of doing a look back.
0: Um, I, and one of the uh, if I would just will extend this a little bit further, I mean, one of the examples I think of, maybe not perfectly analogous, is that you know in, in the there's one kind of database that uh, has stores um, kind of sequencing data and that's managed by the NIH, and there was discussion of maybe not keeping it because it was so expensive to maintain these enorm, to maintain these mm-hmm. enormous databases, mm-hmm. and it was in fact maybe a little bit cheaper to just kind of collect the data again. Um, but I don't think it actually went through. But I, I could. I mean, do you see? I mean, the, I imagine you're looking into the future. These data sets are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, is it going to be something that's kind of maintainable or kind of sustainable? Yeah,
2: I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I can I can think really hard about it, um, <laughs> but the cost of storage is is going down, mm-hmm. um, but the cost like the human cost of curating and maintaining right. that's kind of what, yeah a good data set uh, is is where you know when something gets that big I think is really where we where I think there's an opportunity for technology to help us. Okay. Right. Um, that, that role of curating a long term large data set uh, is difficult. The tooling doesn't necessarily exist. Mm-hmm. Um, even people who are just used to dealing with sort of machine generated data are throwing it away pretty quickly. Yeah. Right? Like, so I'll, I'll process it in that five minute window. Yeah. And then I just don't need to keep it. Right. Um, and that's okay. Uh, but if you wanted to study a, a really interesting 30 minute window, uh, let's say it was an event like Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right? How would you how would you invest in uh, preserving that data for further study, yeah. right? And then the recovery efforts that go on after it for months and years to bring that system back online. If you have an irreproducible event like that, like how do we structure a system that allows us to preserve that um, for for people to study? not just for transportation operations and recovery purposes, but for climate purposes and those kinds of things. Um, This is where I think librarians are often missing from the equation. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a national transportation library, um, and they're awesome. Mm -hmm. And there are are a bunch of state departments of transportation who also have libraries. Um, And I think one thing that is becoming increasingly important to sort of the data management and data science conversation, is the role of libraries and what librarians know. Uh, there's nobody who loves metadata more than a librarian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and that is sort of the point of agreement uh, where we start to get awesome uh, at the Department of Transportation. Yeah.
0: Um, so as a statistician, I think a lot about analysis, uh, data analysis. And I, I kind of want to get your sense of uh, how you guys think about this. It was one of the things that always concerns me is that a lot of projects, a lot of, kind of new initiatives often evolve new data collection, uh, whether it's like new sensors, new you know, ways of collecting data, because kind of, that's kind of the fun part, it feels like. Um, and I'm thinking maybe, for example, like the Smart City Challenge, there's a lot of data collection involved in terms of how do we monitor things. Um, and I wonder how much, uh, how do you guys th- think about, okay, well, what are you gonna do with, wh- where do you, do you, do you think about like, what are you gonna do with the data once you've collected it, I guess? And how much do you kind of worry about that or kind of, or, or kind of require that when you, when you kind of uh, initiate these projects, I guess?
2: So when it comes to things like uh, our, our, our research programs on intelligent transportation systems mm-hmm. and the smart city challenge is just one of uh, a number of sort of ITS deployments we call them mm-hmm. that are coming online. So we have we've got a, a, a connected vehicle pilot in Wyoming mm-hmm. where they're studying how uh, we can move weather data to trucks to make them safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of mountain passes and very dangerous roads in Wyoming. Um, So we want to make sure that truckers are safe, right? So we're going to collect all this data, share this data, and try to measure the efficacy of this kind of information so that we can improve roadway safety, right? Uh, We've got a connected vehicle deployment in Tampa uh, and another one in New York. Uh, So Columbus is one that's also starting to come online. Uh, And the secretary earlier this year um, at uh, the Frontiers Conference Uh, announced a a bunch of new investments uh, in what we call Advanced Transportation Management and Congestion Mitigation Deployment Grants, uh, because it has to have a long name.
0: That's gotta have a good acronym. It's impressive. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh,
2: But it's basically another uh, sensor-based deployment. Um, And we're trying to make sure that the data that's generated through that project is preserved uh, so that people can study um, algorithms that might help us better process that data Uh, so that folks can build new products off of it. Uh, We've been sharing data from other research projects like that Mm -hmm. through our Intelligent Transportation Systems Research Data Exchange, which anybody can Google and find. And you'll see the the messages that are coming off of these onboard units that are transmitting vehicle position. It's called the basic safety message. Mm -hmm. Um, And just uh, this week, we we issued our, our proposed rule for getting more vehicles connected. Um, And so that kind of data is going to be coming online. If you're interested in the future of transportation and what transportation data looks like and how you can build off of it, you can tinker with that data today, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think that's really the key, right? And and what we want to understand is not only what data products we can build off of it, but there's also sort of that long-term view. How do I fuse all that sensor data with what I know about Um, populations and how people travel to make better plans about how I build, uh, where we build, and those kinds of things. Uh, How do we sort of give that data muscle, uh, that new data muscle to the the urban planners and and the community planners and the metro planning organizations um, so that they can make smarter investments in their communities. Um, So it's not just about that real-time piece. Um, we wanna get that research data disseminated as soon as possible, or if, if we really can, um, during the actual life of the deployment, we wanna use cloud technologies and smart access controls to really make these things fishbowls, mm-hmm. so that people can see what works, mm-hmm. grab what works, and turn it on in their city if they know how. Um, and I think that's, we wanna really uh, accelerate uh, the development of knowledge mm-hmm. uh, in that regard.
1: Yeah, what I'll I'll add is is to say that I think that that aspect of sort of local empowerment uh, for the purposes of sandboxing, sort of testing things and then applying them where they work uh, to other cities and communities I think is really important. Um, And I think in addition to uh, being a resource for community planners and infrastructure planning, that data can also be a pretty tremendous resource for policy planning as well. And I think that a lot of the work that DOT has been doing around connected vehicles, around AVs, and even around UAS on aircraft systems um, has been really critical and will be proven increasingly critical to helping regulators think through challenges related to this data, to Mm -hmm. connecting all these devices and to intelligent transportation in general. Um, so I think, I, I know that from the department's perspective and also from the federal government's perspective, sort of writ large, um, we've looked increasingly to data collection as a source of uh, of information about policy and regulation, mm-hmm. and that will become increasingly important as things become more and more intelligent.
0: Yeah, and uh, well, I think data will be spewing from every yeah, <laughs> possible exactly. place. Um, so uh, I feel like I'd be remiss if I came down to the Department of Transportation, didn't talk about automated vehicles, but um, <laughs> I just and so NHTSA just came out with this guideline, a kind of automated vehicle policy, and, uh, and I guess just this week, the kind of vehicle vehicle kind of communication uh, policies came out. And, I, or, uh, and uh, one of them, I just want, there's one interesting phrase from, just from the executive summary of the NHTSA guidelines. Um, you know, HAVs have great potential to use data sharing to enhance and extend safety benefits. Us, each entity should develop a plan for sharing its event and reconstruction and other relevant data with other entities. I was actually I was struck by how much discussion there was devoted to data collection and, of, co- of course, and data sharing. And I'm wondering, um, I mean, I like this idea that you know if a person gets into an accident, into an accident, you know, very few people learn from that. Uh, but if an automated car gets into an accident, perhaps everybody could learn from that. I, I was wondering how how you guys see that happening um, in terms of companies or manufacturers sharing data with each other and perhaps with the public.
1: I think it, you know in the early days certainly of, of formulating the federal automated vehicles policy, we um, we started engaging with stakeholders from sort of across the whole spectrum of of people who and companies, institutions, research centers, etc. who who would be interested in this. And one thing that we heard over and over again, at least from the sort of OSTP or the White House perspective, was this need for for data sharing capabilities and the importance of the community in sort of pivoting from what might have been a more traditional stance of keeping information as proprietary as possible uh, through the manufacturing phase and deployment phase to really adopting a sort of more technology-oriented mindset, especially for those traditional vehicle manufacturers that really encourage data sharing practices for the health of the American people and for the automated vehicle community in general. Um, And so I, I think that's in part, you know, that sort of that helps inform, by way of background, the sort of requirements that were written into the the guidelines. But um, you know, obviously, I think from a technology perspective, those practices are are really important. Um, and I think what we hope to glean uh, from this sort of first wave of policy or quasi-policy, I guess, as some people would consider it, it's guidance and not regulation, right? Exactly, right, right, yeah. Uh, Regarding this issue is that um, we can help instill some of those best practices of data sharing and openness in the community of folks who are working on these platforms.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always a challenge, right? So this is a a pretty competitive space as people are trying to sort of race to have the first robot. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think recognizing that, that we, we have we have this unique opportunity really to pursue fleet learning in a way that mm-hmm. uh, we weren't able to do with people, right? Um, in, in traffic safety engineering, uh, the, there's three E's, education, enforcement, and engineering, right? And when we talk about fleet learning and the ability to learn from a robot's mistake, right? That's just a technology-oriented form of education. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that E still applies. Uh, how we apply it in the 21st century uh, to a highly automated vehicle or to any other set of algorithms that are that are helping to move people around our country or things around our country safely and efficiently, um, I think is, is really uh, where we need to start to move the conversation. Uh, but this is that place where sort of the data science piece meets sort of the traditional traffic safety engineering piece. Um, and I think we can learn from each other as long as we maintain a constructive dialogue about how best to do this, and we agree on like some basic principles about not competing on safety right right uh, yeah. um, we don 't compete on safety, everybody should be safe uh-huh. um, and and how we how we work uh, to share across uh, that ecosystem is going to be important as we move ahead
0: yeah I'm wondering just a uh, one more bit on this piece I think there are nowadays a lot of not just in transportation there are a lot of Kind of business areas where in, kind of data and information is kind of the the real um, kind of barrier, to, I mean, not barrier to entry, but real kind of like that's the thing that makes the company different and valuable, um, as opposed to maybe some other traditional aspects, whether it's kind of you know manufacturing or other things. And I wonder in your conversations, you know, what is the discussion about in terms of you know maybe sharing data with other companies or or, or potentially competitors, uh, if that's like maybe the one thing that kind of differentiates them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, that's a really important point to hit on the notion that you know zooming out a little bit, this principle does apply to a lot of different technology areas, especially in the sort of space that we've been referring to, at least in this podcast, as intelligent X, right? Yeah. Um, Whether it's transportation or otherwise, Uh, and our office actually does a a lot of work on artificial intelligence policy uh, and outreach, and um, and most recently have been in the process of developing a report related to how automation, might, AI-driven automation might impact the economy. Um, mm-hmm. So this raises a lot of concerns related to um, competition, You know, the sort of nature of this space, the fact that data assets become sort of the assets uh, in many cases, or that the first company to, to develop a, a truly advanced artificial intelligence will sort of feed into a winner-take-all system because just of the nature of, of of the industry um, are all concerns that we're raising and talking about in a policy context um, from the White House's perspective. And and I think that the the notion that sharing, especially sharing at the intersection of safety principles and with safety as the goal um, will be important for a number of different industries. And it's not just as it affects the physical world in the form of transportation, Um, but also as it intersects with with purely computational applications related to artificial intelligence and machine learning and otherwise.
2: Yeah, I um, was having an interesting conversation uh, with with some colleagues from OSTP a while ago. uh, and I actually recalled my engineering ethics class,
1: (laughs) believe it or not.
2: Um, And and, and the immediate reaction was, you took an engineering ethics class? Right. Uh, Yeah. and we in most sort of, especially like in the civil and mechanical kinds of disciplines, there's a, there there's things like the National Society of Professional Engineers, there's the order of the engineer and the oath to sort of uphold public health and safety as part of what you do, mm-hmm. right? So if you get a stamp and you sign that oath, that's when you make decisions about what you're deploying, all those kinds of things. Um, People, people come to understand that ethical obligation. I think that is starting to sort of bridge to sort of the data science and computer science disciplines as well, um, and sort of what does it mean to be professional in that space, right? And what are our obligations in that space? Um, DJ Patil, Chief Data Scientist of the United States, talks a lot about bringing ethics education into data science curricula, um, and I think this is a real opportunity for us to sort of start a conversation about what, what our ethical ethical applications are as we move toward uh, more and more of these applications. Yeah,
1: It's certainly been a priority of the federal government, I think, but you've also seen instances in which the private sector has really started to grab the bull by the horns in this area. Yeah. Um, and a good example of that, I think, is in the newly formed partnership on AI, which is the five biggest companies in artificial intelligence and machine learning space right now um, who have all banded together to sort of Um, publicly say that this is a priority for them and that public outreach on this issue and bringing in a variety of different stakeholders um, that are cross-sector in nature, both on the government side, also in the nonprofit sector and in the private sector, um, I think to engage in this public conversation about data ethics, privacy ethics, issues related to artificial intelligence that intersect with um, societal concerns are all sort of a part of the formulation of their products and the engagement that um, they and the government have on this issue.
0: It seems like as we kind of go forward, I can see a time in the future when you know, everyone's collecting data, everyone's got data coming in going out, uh, but there may be a certain layer of data that may be off-limits for kind of proprietary, you know, whether it's safety-related or otherwise. Um, it seems like uh, that, that kind of, of – where to draw that line still needs to kind of be developed and kind of thought of going forward. So, I mean.
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know. There's the just because you can doesn't mean you should right. principle um, that uh, I think we think about quite a bit. Um, frequently, the money's not in the data; it's in the algorithm that operates on the data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, thinking smartly about sort of where we should share and how we should share, um, knowing that the money's really on on how the data is processed, uh, I think is important. Uh, obviously. Uh, we feel we feel very strongly about protecting uh, personal privacy and civil liberties and those kinds of things. Um, so when data collections uh, push into those areas, it's important for us to uphold those principles throughout the life cycle of those of those collections. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we we frequently have uh, these kinds of harder debates when it when we're trying to talk about moving data. Um, that in that sensitive space and and we we have good protections on the research side mm-hmm. with institutional review boards and a variety of regulations there sure yeah uh, as things become more commercialized um, it gets the chat, the conversation gets more challenging mm-hmm. right and uh, I think what we need to do is pay attention to it yeah uh, we can't stick our head in the sand
0: you have anything else to add or
2: so we spent a lot of time talking sort of about the future of transportation and some of it is, is sort of here today yeah um, but I think it's important for, for folks who are in this data science space to sort of see that there's definitely a lot of commercial opportunities. There are a lot of public sector and public service opportunities. Um, we have traffic safety engineers, electrical engineers, civil engineers, and those kinds of folks who need um, and, and, and want to take advantage of the, the skills that data scientists bring to today's problems too. Um, The the one that's really on uh, top of mind for me is this dramatic increase that we're experiencing in uh, deaths on our roads. Mm So in 2014 we lost about 32,000 folks which is a lot. Uh, In 2016 we're on track to lose 38,000. Those are the between 2014 and 2015 and then 2015 to 2016. These are the two sharpest increases that we have seen in 50 years. Um, there are more than likely steps that we can take if the data science community engages with the traffic safety community uh, and, and some of the more traditional folks in their, in their, in their cities mm-hmm. um, or across the country. We uh, really want people to dig in on these kinds of important problems because it's really going to take all of us to solve it. Um, and so if you've got a superpower in data science and, and you want to work on this, uh, the data is out there um, and, and we welcome that conversation.
1: I would underscore Dan's call to action by just making the recruitment pitch a little bit more explicit in saying that um, you know everyone should be working on these problems certainly uh, but the government also needs people working on these problems um, and I think we've made a lot of progress in the last eight years in, in building the technical capacity of all of our institutions across the federal community but um, it will become increasingly as important as, as these sort of issues balloon outwards as things become smarter Mm -hmm. or more intelligent as data becomes um, more and more massive. And I think that we will need all the help that we can get. So I would encourage anyone who's interested in also considering a tour of duty in public service.
0: Great. Well, Dan and Tara, thanks for joining us and for having this great conversation.
1: Thank Thank you. you.